at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Good to be back on the air after a couple days off. Lots of stuff going on that we will be tracking. The Dow Jones Industrial Average cratering again, down almost 620 points. The NASDAQ down 2.35%, 350 points as we speak. Now, the good news is... Um, they're down from their all-time highs, but uh, Dow Jones right now down about 1,700 points from its all-time high. So if you want to be the glasses half-full guy, you could say, well, it, it's still a lot better off than it's been over the longest time. But lately, it's been rocky for the stock market. We will continue to track that. Lots of other stuff going on. Let's get right to it. Now, I understand this happened at the end of last week, but we have not had a chance to talk about it. And I want to take that opportunity now. Th- this story from last Thursday afternoon, And I say Thursday afternoon, this happened about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on on East Buffalo Street, right off of Water Street, at the um, Shake Shack restaurant. Now, this is a very, very popular restaurant in the heart of Milwaukee's Third Ward. Um, And Shake Shack does a lot of advertising. Lots and lots of people go there. So this is about 2 o'clock in the afternoon Thursday. Again, not 2 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So what happens is there's a lady who gets out of her car, drives down there. She's got her kids in the car, and she drives down there. She's going to pick up a food order. She gets out of her car, and at that point in time, she apparently sees employees pointing and waving at her as what happens is a car pulls up next to hers, and a guy jumps out and jumps into her car. Okay, well, she's got her kids in the car, and her daughter says, who are you? And the guy says, whoa, and then, then he jumps out. So he was apparently trying to steal the car, but didn't realize that there were people in the car. So the guy starts to run away. At that point in time, the lady says, I, I recognize that he, I, he dropped his cell phone. So she grabs the phone, and then she goes into the restaurant. She tells the restaurant, call 911. I've got the guy's phone. At that point in time, the would-be carjacker, car thief, hears her, turns around, comes rushing at her, wraps his arms around her, tries to tackle her to the ground in order to get her phone back. Now, at this point in time, a Milwaukee police detective off-duty who happens to be inside the Shake Shack at the time sees this. And then what happens is, is he intervenes. All right, the guy is a hero in every sense of the word. He intervenes runs around, starts grappling with the would-be car thief, and at that point in time, apparently shots are fired as part of the, the grappling that is going on as the police officer is trying to detain and take the kid away and, and end up catching the kid. So the police officer ends up being the hero. The police officer, after being shot, all right, the bad guy gets back in the car, and then they start to to flee. All right, uh, police try to stop the suspect. 
He doesn't stop, of course. They then chase him and another guy, uh, and they catch him at 29th and Chambers in Milwaukee. So ultimately they catch these guys. One is 17 and one is 18, and they are taken into custody. All right, so the police officer, the good news is he is going to survive, but it's it's just it's a miracle, you know, but there but for the grace of God. Okay, well, here's the dazzling detail, and it's first reported by the website Wisconsin Right Now, and now it's been picked up by other people. The, the shooter, the person who started this whole thing, um, he's now been charged, Keesian Ellis Brown, the alleged shooter. The person who was responsible for the attempted carjacking in the middle, in the beginning, and then wrestling with the police officer. Um, as it turns out, wait for it, he was free on $1,000 bail in another serious case. Um, the complaint in the pending case says that in October, two Milwaukee police officers were advised by other officers that there were people inside a Kia located in the Culver's parking lot on Fond du Lac Avenue that were wanted in connection with a shooting incident that occurred at Culver's a few days prior. Officers saw the Kia traveling at a high rate of speed and driving erratically. They pursued the Kia, which continued weaving in and out of traffic, fleeing from the cops at 90 miles an hour. It drove onto a sidewalk. It disregarded a traffic signal and a stop sign, almost causing accidents. The pursuit continued 3.2 miles through Milwaukee. The driver of the Kia fled on foot, holding a pistol, after the Kia crashed into a tree at 42nd and Capitol. The officer ordered the driver to stop and drop the gun. The driver disregarded those commands. Driver went behind a gas station and then ran through an alley and yards. He was ultimately apprehended and identified. Firearm found underneath the car. Front seat passenger was also taken into custody. And, of course, the dazzling detail is the guy with the gun leading the cops on a high-speed chase is the same guy who in January of 2022, now keep in mind this happened um, in late October of 2021, the guy who led the cops on the, the wild chase, darn near killed a bunch of people driving the car, is now the same guy who is responsible, at least allegedly, for the shooting of the Milwaukee police detective. Right Here is the other dazzling detail. If you wonder what happens in the city of Milwaukee, on the mean streets of Milwaukee, and what happens to you if, I don't know, you've been involved in a shooting in a Culver's, you flee from the cops at a high rate of speed, you run, you are carrying a gun, what happens? What happens to you? You are released on a bail of, wait for it, $1,000. $1,000. Bail. And now, of course, the guy who's out on bail is responsible, at least allegedly, for another attempted carjacking and, of course, the, the shooting of the police officer. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I get frustrated by these stories because I keep asking rhetorically, when is enough going to be enough? When is collectively People in the city of Milwaukee, people in Milwaukee County, people across the state 
going to rise up and say, this is crazy. This cannot continue to go on. We are tired of having, first of all, lives being taken or almost taken. We are tired of being victimized by this criminal class who is obviously undeterred by, I don't know, things like facing felony charges or things of the like. What is the solution? It's really simple. For people who are engaged in fleeing police, crimes of violence, felon in possession of firearms, to even consider bail in the range of $1,000 is absolutely ridiculous. It should be five or ten times as much. But even more importantly, what we need to start doing is analyzing people and asking whether they should be entitled to bail in the first place. In the federal system, you compare two things. You look, number one, at whether or not somebody is a flight risk. And then you look, number two, at whether somebody is a danger to the community. And if you determine, based on somebody's criminal record, based on the criminal history, based on the circumstances of the case, that you determine that somebody is a danger to the community, then you know what? You don't get bail. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. One of the other two, now they've arrested three people in connection with this. They believe that the shooter is the guy that was out on a $1,000 bail after you know having the gun and being involved in the shooting at a Culver's a couple months ago and leading the cops on a high-speed chase. They, they believe that, that, that the shooter, he's the one out on a $1,000 bail. There's another one of the three that were involved in this robbery who was out on a $500 bail. I mean, at some point in time, don't we have to realize that this isn't working? And, and I do not know off the top of my head, we'll probably find this out at some point in time, maybe, what the juvenile records for the three people that were charged are. Of course, juvenile records are are sealed, as we talk about a lot, so the public never knows. Now, it could be that these three people, two of whom are 18, one is 19, I believe, who were involved in the shooting and the carjacking and things like that, it could be that this is their first time at the rodeo, but you and I both know that that's not the case. My guess is that all of these people have been through the juvenile quote-unquote justice system on multiple occasions, and, and now they finally reach that age of 18 or 19 or whatever, and so now they're, they're going to be held accountable as adults. But even being held accountable means being turned loose after you, you lead the cops on a high-speed chase with a gun, you flee, you're the suspect in a shooting at a restaurant, and they turn you loose on a $1,000 bail, and then surprise follows surprise, you're out trying to carjack a woman on downtown Milwaukee in the heart of the third ward at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Nick in Green Bay. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Okay. Hi, I don't know if you're trying to do it, but my blood pressure is pretty high. But, um, <laughs> Sorry. After this, but, no, no, you're fine. I love you, Jeff. You're amazing. Um, I wish you were still in the criminal system, but we're in Green Bay, and we go to Milwaukee all the time. This is I, We won't be going back to Milwaukee because it's, it's not worth it. I mean, it's, it's scary, and it's appalling. Are you serious? Why isn't this guy put in jail? It, it, I just I don't even know what to say. I'm so taken back by it. It's ridiculous. Well, you know, and the I other mean, thing, the and, you know, and the other thing, amazing. Nick. Yeah, the, I mean, the other thing, Nick, is for example, this latest crime where the police officer was shot. It's not 
2 o'clock in the morning. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon uh, in the heart of the Third Ward. I mean, where the Shake Shack is. And, and, and here's a lady who pulls up to, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon just to pick up some food, and you have a guy who's out on this ridiculously low bail who is just so emboldened thinking nothing's going to happen to him. He, he feels comfortable carjacking a, a woman at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then wrestling with her and being willing to shoot a police officer. Now, he didn't know it was a police officer, but but it doesn't make any difference to me. You know, he's still willing to shoot somebody. And I understand what you're saying, Nick. I mean, you know, th- this is not an ad for the Milwaukee Chamber of Commerce. Come down to Milwaukee at 2 o'clock. Stop at a Shake Shack restaurant. Get carjacked and or shot. And, and, and it's not an aberration. It's happening all the time. It's just scary. So. We, won't, we won't be going to Milwaukee anymore. So, But it's just ridiculous. It seems like the criminals have more rights than the, than the general public does. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, thanks for the call, Nick. I appreciate it. Look, and here, look here, here's the deal, and, and this is what is so frustrating. In general, most people are law-abiding citizens. What happens is you have, in my opinion, a criminal class, repeat offenders who do this over and over again and are enabled by the district attorney's office. They are enabled by the court system. They are put out to commit crimes over and over again, and they are never had account- held accountable. You talk to cops, and cops will tell you that the vast majority of crime is committed by the same 2 or 3% who they almost always know on a first-name basis. They're out over and over and over again. Bob in Brookfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Uh, Hi, I just wanted to call to say, how are you doing? Good. I just wanted to call to say, uh, you know, you listen to these mayoral candidates, and uh, they say crime's number one. Well, then why don't they have the guts to tell people, vote for me, because I'm going to take Chisholm out in a DA uh, office. I'm going to, re- you know, uh, reconstruct this. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they say, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. It's all smoke and mirrors. Right. Why don't they get right to the heart? Start and right. say, Chisholm, you vote for me, Chisholm is gone. Well, but Bob, they thanks for the call. To say that. Well, no, th- thanks for the call. Here, here's the problem. First of all, John Chisholm is independently elected. John Chisholm does not report to the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. The, the voters in Milwaukee made the decision that they were going to put John Chisholm in office. And at least as far as it goes right now, there's no effort to recall him. So he, he's going to be in office till 2024. Tony Evers has made the decision that Evers is not going to remove him. That may be an issue in the upcoming gubernatorial race. But, but there's really nothing anybody can do to get Chisholm out of office. However, to your point... I agree with you that a lot of times right now all you're getting is a lip service from these mayoral candidates. And and one of the things, and this is what frustrated me about Barrett um, when all this was going on, the, the one thing the mayor can do is use the bully pulpit to hold people accountable, and that includes public officials. Wouldn't it be interesting if you had one of the mayoral candidates who started naming names? Let's go through the list of all these different people who have been let out on ridiculously low bails. And, and let's name the defendants. Let's name the court commissioners who are letting them out on the stupid low bails.
criminals and endangering the public. And, and every time one of these happens, let's mention John Chisholm's name. This was a decision that the district attorney's office made, and Chisholm, you know, he, he's ultimately responsible. You know, I understand after the Waukesha parade deaths that Chisholm's reaction was to throw a young assistant district attorney under the bus. Oh, this was a mistake. He, he should have, Daryl Brooks should have never gotten this, this um, bail. Well, well, yeah, but as we have been saying over the course of the last several weeks, that this is not atypical. The, the the ridiculously low bail for dangerous people happens on a daily basis. The only thing that is different now is that people are starting to pay attention to the fact that people that are committing these violent crimes while out on bail are out on the ridiculously low bails. So even though the, the district attorney is not accountable to the mayor, there are things that could happen, and that would be, let's have these mayoral candidates who are willing to, again, come out there and say, look, this is what we're going to do. Every time there is a crime, and every time that crime ends up uh, somebody's been re- released on a ridiculously low bail, we're, we're putting out a press release. We're naming the court commissioner. We're naming the judge. We're naming the assistant district attorney, and we are ultimately naming John Chisholm. We're going to hold them accountable. Let the public see this. Now, part of the problem is a lot of the crime we have are committed by juveniles, and as I have been arguing for the longest time, we need to completely revamp the juvenile justice system, and I say again that in quotation marks, and we need to, I think, let some air in. I think this idea that we do not let the general public know about what's happened to juveniles, what the charges are, what the dispositions are, what the release status is, all that does is enable these punks, these thugs, to go out and commit more and more crimes. And and that's got to stop as well. It also allows the juvenile court judge, the judges to hide behind this era of transparency, and, and, uh, the lack of transparency. They're, they're never held accountable until, okay, one of the people that they've released on a ridiculous stupid low bail goes out and then you know kills somebody well then it, it turns out that okay that this person was you know released on some you know, double secret probation but we have to start holding people accountable so that's the push that I think you need to have first of all let's have mayoral candidates come out let's ask them about doing away with or at least raising the bail system let's ask them about detaining people based on the fact that they may in fact be dangerous and then let's ask them are you willing to call Call out the judges. Are you willing to call out the DAs for turning these people loose? And if not, why not? How many more citizens in the city of Milwaukee are you prepared to see die How or be victimized in some other fashion? How many people, like our first caller, who are in Green Bay, Nick, saying, I don't want to come anywhere near the city of Milwaukee because, my God, 11,000 cars stolen from the streets, um, people being robbed at uh, people being robbed by you know um, people that are out on low bails at, at two o'clock in the afternoon. You got to get control of the city, and right now it is a city that makes the wild, wild west look like Disneyland. Back with more in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And, and one of our texters is making the point that the the car that the thugs used to drive to the Shake Shack where they then attempted to carjack the woman that led to the shooting, that that, that 
That car was stolen from a driveway in Menominee Falls as people were getting ready to take their kids to school. It is just out of control. And, and that's also part of the problem. For people who think, you know, that this, this soft on crime attitude that has just completely and totally pervaded the city of Milwaukee, that it's just a Milwaukee problem. It, it's not. It bleeds over into other areas of the county. It bleeds over into the surrounding suburbs because it's not like there's some giant fence around the city that stops the thieves, the thugs, the punks from you know going out to the suburbs to commit crimes as well it is a regional problem and it starts with the milwaukee county court system and the milwaukee county district attorney and of course the bad guys who feel enabled to go out and do whatever they want welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Welcome back. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, this is a story that broke Friday while I was off, and I I admit, I'm listening to it. It it actually prompted me to send out a a tweet. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. And and my my only thought was, what a you-know-what show. (laughs) If, If these allegations are true, it is almost unbelievable now everybody remembers the story from a couple weeks ago about the the 16 year old girl the cashier at the at the Burger King who was shot by by the at least what we thought was the the would-be robber who climbed through the the Burger King window and ended up shooting her when he came through closing time and, and then there was the you know the manhunt that was on for for him and we, we discussed how frustrating it was that at least some people in the community who obviously knew who this guy was ha- hadn't come forward well now we're getting some insight maybe as to why exactly it was that some of that might have happened now if these allegations are true it is almost just beyond belief now the the story is in a nutshell at least the allegations are that the 16 year old girl and one of her co-workers 16 year old girl who was shot and one of her co-workers who worked there had entered into a plan with the other girl's father not the girl who was shot but the other co-worker to rob the burger king restaurant and the, the arrangement was going to be that the dad was going to pull through the, the drive through They were going to pretend it was a robbery, and they were going to give him the contents of, of the cash register. And so they timed this out. And we don't need to go into all the, the various details about you know how this was executed and, and how this whole thing ended up going going bad. But, but that's at least what the government, that's what the state says happened, that this was a planned uh, it was a staged robbery, an inside job. Now, the the 16-year-old girl who was shot, her her family vigorously denies this. Say no, that this this isn't this isn't true. And I guess you know it, the the truth will ultimately come out. But here here's the other interesting aspect of it. All right, the guy, the would-be robber, the father of one of the co-workers, he is not the guy that was involved in in the shooting. Apparently, what happened is. You have another man who was working at the Burger King. And, you know, he, his name is um, uh, Derek Ellis. He's 34 years old. He's, he's a felon and is not allowed to carry a firearm. Nevertheless, he apparently did carry a firearm. 
carried a firearm for personal protection. So he's got this gun, not supposed to have it. He's on the scene in the restaurant that night. He's in the restaurant doing whatever he's doing, and he hears about the armed robbery. The 16-year-old girl who's at least allegedly in on this, you know, she screams, he's got a gun. So the co-worker then, you know, runs into the area, sees the guy with the mask and the gun trying to come through the window. He takes his gun, fires a couple shots, and ends up hitting the 16-year-old girl. So it's the co-worker that actually inadvertently shot the 16-year-old. Um, but he's doing it, you would argue, in, in self-defense. There, there's this, he thinks it's an ongoing, he thinks it's a robbery that, that's going on. So he pulls out his gun and he fires a couple shots at the man who's trying to come through the drive through window, but he inadvertently hits the 16-year-old. I mean, what what an absolute mess. Then the guy, the co-worker who's fired the shots, he's a felon in possession of a firearm, so he stashes the gun, I think, in the Burger King safe or whatever, and he takes off, and at least as of when I last checked, he still has not been apprehended. But, but he's on he's on the run right now. Not necessarily because of the shooting, because I think you can make a strong argument that that shooting was in self-defense. But on the other hand, he's on the run because he's not allowed to have a firearm, and he had the firearm. All right, our number, what, just what a mess. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us assume, just for the sake of argument, that the facts are as as alleged in in the criminal complaint, that the state's theory is, is what actually happened. It was an inside job. Um, it was the father of the, the co-worker and the girl who got shot was in on it. I, let's just assume that for the sake of argument. I think the interesting aspect is, what do you do with the guy who actually fired the gun? I mean, he's he's there. He's a felon. He's not supposed to have the firearm, and yet he has the firearm. But... When he decides to shoot it, he, he I think he thinks he's going to be a hero. He sees this guy coming through the window with a gun. He fires the shots to try to, I, I think, stop him from getting into the restaurant or whatever, and he ends up, again, hitting the 16-year-old. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, clearly, the man has compounded his problems by, by fleeing. And like I said, I think he's still a fugitive right now. That's, that's never a good thing. And, you know, he is a felon. He's not allowed to carry a firearm. But if you're the district attorney, what do you do in a situation like this? Guy's not supposed to have the gun, but yet uses the gun in an effort to stop a robbery, but inadvertently shoots one of his co-workers who, as it turns out, at least allegedly, was in on the robbery in the first place. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you do with the shooter in, in this case? Do you prosecute him for firing the gun? Do you say, okay, well, you're a felon in possession of a firearm. You're not supposed to have the gun. But at the same time, you know, you were using the gun for a noble purpose. You were trying to stop the, the robbery. What do you do with the felon in possession of the gun, the shooter? How badly do you come down on him? How badly do you drop the hammer? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. So glad to have you with us. You know, when I was 
when I was reading and hearing about the details of at least what the state says happened at that Burger King robbery that went bad, it, it, there's, there's a movie from about 15 years ago. It's with the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman and Ethan Hawke and Marissa Tomei and Albert Finney. It's called Tell the De- Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. And, and it's th- this this fact situation. It's, it, it's amazing how it tracks the plot line of, of that movie, which was, again, a couple brothers who, who stage a robbery at their parents' jewelry store, and the whole thing ends up going bad and stuff. But, but it's, it's, it's amazing how, in this case, if this is true, you know, how you know, life ends up imitating art. Our number, 855-616-1620. But, but now you have the, the underlying question, the actual shooter, the co-worker at the Burger King, who was not part of this inside job robbery plot, as alleged by the state, he, he's a felon in possession of a firearm. He's got a gun with him. He sees this robbery. He starts shooting. He ends up hitting the 16-year-old cashier, who at least according to the state is in on the robbery. Now he's on the lam. What do you do with him? Let's start with Wally in Milwaukee. Wally, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Hi, Wally. What do you think? Well, it's like you said, it's definitely unfortunate, but this 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 guy that shot this girl, I mean, he should definitely, there, there should be some charges, but at, at the very same token, the district attorney or who was ever in charge should definitely give some consideration. He was trying to do the right thing, and, uh, you know, this girl was in on it, and she was caught in a crossfire. It's very unfortunate, but uh, we got to send a message out that this guy is a felon. He shouldn't have had a gun. But uh, there should be definitely some consideration. This was not intentional. This was an accident. And I think him being on a run, he's doing the wrong thing because, uh, you know, he was, he was, he was just trying. He thought there was a, a robbery going down. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call, Wally. See, this is see this is where you, you kind of wrestle with this type of stuff because he, he did he did do the wrong thing. He was not supposed to have a, a gun. And so from my perspective, you, you, you've got to charge him with that. And by the way, I also agree he's, he's made this entire thing worse by by taking off. And, and every day he stays gone, he, he makes the situation worse. But I mean, you you. Part of the problem here is, and we talk a lot about the the lack of accountability in the city of Milwaukee. You know, I think felon in possession of a firearm is, is a big deal. You would be shocked, shocked at the number of people who are felons who get caught with guns, who are turned loose onto the mean streets of Milwaukee, like we were talking about in the first half hour of the show, on ridiculously low bails. It, it's just crazy how often that happens. I, I think being a felon in possession of a firearm is a big deal. I think it needs to be treated as a big deal, and I think people need to be held accountable. So in my opinion, there, there's no question. It, it, it's not a situation where you can say, okay, you you know, we, we understand, you know, you're working in this, this place that's, you know, likely to get robbed you know, on the mean streets of Milwaukee. No, if you're a felon in possession of a firearm, you you have to be held accountable for it. Beyond that, though, I think it's really, really fact-specific. In this particular case, I mean, assume he was not a felon in possession of a gun. Assume that, you know, he had a concealed carry permit, 
and was legally carrying the gun. Now, it might be a violation of Burger King rules to bring the gun to work, but that doesn't involve the law. I mean, assume for the sake of argument that he had a legal, was legally allowed to carry that gun. He comes upon what he believes is an armed robbery, and in an effort to stop the armed robbery, he attempts to shoot at the, the person who's coming through the window and inadvertently, you know, hits the, the, the cashier. In that particular case, I, I'm not sure you're going to see, you would see any sort of criminal charges that would be brought. Maybe there's a lawsuit for, you know, negligent handling of a firearm or things like that. I also think in a situation like this, it would be, again, assuming the guy was legally able to carry the firearm, I don't think there is any way that a district attorney would bring charges or would be able to secure a conviction because the defense is going to be, look, this, I'm, I was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to save people. Now, does that change because he's not legally allowed to carry the firearm? Well, I, I don't know. That, that's a much, much tougher call. Does he help, need to be held accountable? Sure. But the, the charge that you bring is felon in possession of a firearm. Mark in Oak Creek. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Um, yeah, Hi. I think he should be charged. He, I think 100% he should be charged with uh felon possession of a firearm, and then they'll probably uh, end up charging him with manslaughter, I would imagine, or something along those lines. Yeah. You think man- You think they get a conviction of manslaughter? Uh, probably not. I, I was a uh, bailiff in the courts uh, years ago, and uh, there was some cases similar to this. And they end up <clears throat> negotiating in a plea deal, and then they knock it down to, like, uh, rec- you know, second-degree recklessly endangering safety and something like that, but they'll definitely get the felon in possession of firearm. Yeah, uh, no, thanks a lot for the call. And he, de- in my opinion, he deserves the felon in possession of a firearm. Matter, matter of fact, I think one of the things that's happened is you have a lot of these politicians and people who, who give lip service to saying, we, we need to get guns off the streets. And, and we, what we need to, first of all, concentrate on is getting guns out of the hands of people who are not legally able to own the guns. And that's why, um, you know, I, I, I would support you know, mandatory minimum sentences for felons who get caught with guns. I, I think maybe that's something the state legislature could do, although the problem is in Milwaukee County, the district attorney would simply plea that away. They, they wouldn't bring the charge or they'd drop the charge as a negotiating thing. But I do think that that's a big deal, getting felons, who people who aren't legally allowed to carry guns, getting those guns out of their hands. So I have no problem at all with aggressively pursuing those charges. Beyond that, though, to me, you Go back, and the, the equation is, all right, if this, if this weren't a guy not legally able to carry the gun, but rather was somebody with a concealed carry permit who did this and inadvertently ended up shooting the, the 16-year-old, and it's a tragedy all around, I don't think you bring charges. So if you're not going to bring charges in that particular situation, how do you bring charges in this particular situation? Felon in a possession, absolutely. Consider all the circumstances. But the longer this guy stays gone, the worse he makes it for himself. And and maybe, again, this is this object lesson here for people who are planning robberies or things like that. Leave this stuff to the plot of movies because when you try to do it in real life, all sorts of stuff can go bad. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. One more crime story before we move on in the next hour. According to Fox 6, here's the deal. 
A Milwaukee man charged in connection with a string of burglaries and car thefts. Investigators say in one case he stole 20 guns from a locked cabinet inside a Menominee Falls home. Self-inflicted gunshot wound led to his arrest. Investigators say Jammer and Lot stole cars, guns, and cash. Between May of 2021 and August 2021, a gunshot wound he suffered while committing the crimes helped investigators connect the dots. Um, okay, and they talk about how he went in and tried to break into these homes and things like that. Ended up shooting himself with one of the guns he'd stolen. But this is a guy who's on, on a, again, a crime spree. Two dazzling details about this, 16 years old. 16 years old in connection investigating again the guy was on a crime spree here is the other dazzling detail and it's no surprise according to prosecutors now they're going to try him as an adult he has at least i said at least five prior juvenile adjudications the kid is 16 years old he is on a crime spree of breaking in homes stealing guns stealing cars stealing cash he ends up getting caught when he shoots himself with one of the stolen guns he's 16 years old and he has been through the criminal justice system again in quotation marks at least five prior adjudications and and that's where he's been found delinquent god knows how many times he'd been through the system before when are we going to wake up and realize that we are raising a criminal class that feels emboldened to do whatever they want? When are we going to start holding people accountable? And I'm not talking about just criminal criminals. I'm talking about the prosecutors, and I'm talking about the judges as well. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. You know, of course, we're all talking about the the Packers and the upcoming game Saturday evening against San Francisco. But kind of lost in that, I was listening to Greg's sportscast, is is the Bucks who are underperforming this year. I mean, I, I watched them choke away the game in Atlanta yesterday as part of, you know, the, the Dr. Martin Luther King Day the events where they have basketball all day. And, and I mean, the Bucks hardly a powerhouse. Now, it, it's too soon to kind of push the panic button, but they're 27 and 19. They're, they're, they played more than half of the season. They're fifth in the NBA. So, I mean, they're, they're going to make the playoffs, but they're anything but a, a team that anybody should be afraid of. So, I mean, again, long season, and you don't want to put too much, you know, attention to any particular streak. But they've lost six out of their last games, six out of the last eight games, and this is while you know Giannis is playing in most, if not all, of them. Now they've got Chris Middleton, they've they've got Giannis right now. Uh, Drew Holiday is out with an injured ankle, and it, it's very clear to me that when when those three players are there, I think the Bucks are as good as any team in the league. But you take one of those three out, and and they. They struggle, and that's clearly the example yesterday. The other thing is, and look, I don't, I don't claim to be, you know, a basketball expert, but you know, keep in mind one of the big differences between last year and this year is that Brook Lopez, the 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 center, ha- has been gone with a back injury all year, and I don't know that they have any idea whether he's going to come back, and they haven't been able to replace him. And all I'm saying is that for for everybody who 
appreciates how, how special last year's team was and who thought, okay, this is a team that's going to get back to the NBA Finals. It could very well do it, but it's certainly not playing like a team that's headed anywhere, you know, in a, for a long run in the playoffs. You know, you don't want to sell any team short when you've got Giannis and Chris Middleton and things like that. But so far, the, the first half of the Bucks season ha- has not exactly been – awe-inspiring. A lot of teams would love to be fifth in the Eastern Conference, and a lot of teams would love to be eight games over five hundred. but with, with all the talent the Bucks have and all the money they spend on that talent, you'd think that, that maybe they'd, they'd be doing better. But long season, and you know, I think more and more people are going to start paying attention to basketball as the football season winds down, which hopefully won't be for another month or so if you're a Packers fan. More on the, the playoffs uh, in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. All right, um, you, you heard it during Melissa's newscast. The, the Common Council has reinstated, and this is the Milwaukee Common Council, so this only applies to the city of Milwaukee. They have reinstated a, a mask mandate that is going to be in effect until March 1st. Now, what's a little bit different about this, without getting kind of lost in the weeds, is beforehand that the mask rules were issued by, by the health department, you know, um, and, and so it, it wasn't legislative. The health commissioner, I think, kind of took the position that, look, there's real legal questions as to how long I can impose this. If you want a mask mandate, it should go through the Common Council. It's now gone through the Common Council. They passed this, and I expect that the acting mayor is going to sign off on it. He hasn't said one way or the other. But it, it looks like they will be putting a, a mask mandate back into effect. But... And here's the here's the big but for all the butt monkeys out there, but this this is a mandate that Alderman Bob Bauman, who I disagree with on many many issues, he, he calls it a non mandate mandate. And you know what? He he's absolutely right because for all practical purposes, there is no consequence for violating this latest mask mandate. Now, when, when this was being taken up, the, the health commissioner said, look, beforehand it was the health department that was responsible for enforcing these mask mandates. But she, she said, look, we just don't have the people. We can't send people. Somebody calls and says, you know, such and such place isn't following the mask mandate or, or whatever. You know, we don't have the people to send out to try to enforce this. You know, we're all about trying to keep, get people vaccinated. We're all about doing COVID testing. And that's taking up all the time. And we're not going to be in a position to pull people off of the vaccination lines or off the COVID testing lines to send them out to check whether, you know, Jeff's watch shop is, is enforcing a mask mandate or not. So there's effectively no enforcement provisions here. There's no fines that are attached to violating the mask mandate. The only thing that could happen is that a letter could be placed in the file of a business that hasn't followed through on the ordinance. And that could be used against someone when they apply for license renewals. But, and and here's another but, there's nothing that requires the health department to do that. I mean, so there's no rule that requires the health department to, to do to, to put a letter in a file, and there's no saying that there's going to be any consequence to that, you know, somewhere down the line. Maybe three or four years from now, license comes up for renewal, and you say, oh, you know, back in 2022, you know, you had a report that you weren't following the mask mandate. Is anybody seriously going to close down that, that business? All right. 
our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this whole thing is the ultimate example of what I would call virtue signaling. It's sort of like, to me, the question is, can you be a little bit pregnant? If, if you think that a mask mandate is the way to go, if you think it should be required, if you think it's necessary to stop the spread of COVID, and you think it's important to put this requirement on, well, don't you have to have some enforcement measures to it? Because keep in mind, I mean, right now, individual businesses that decide that they want to require people to wear masks in their places, they've got the authority to do it. You can just say, you know, we're masks. We're not serving people unless, you know, you have masks on and things like that. If the government is going to come in and say, we are now going to pass an ordinance requiring you to do something, don't they also then have a burden with figuring out how they're going to enforce it and having some penalty in place? Now, I'm not necessarily a guy who's in favor of mask mandates, but if you're going to do it, don't you have to put some teeth into it? And if you don't have any teeth in it, why why bother doing it in, in the first place? which is what, you know, the alderman says, it's a non-mandate mandate. And mark the tape, he's right. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're going to do this and you feel it is necessary for public health to do this, don't you, you know, have to put consequences to this? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A couple of people are saying, okay, what does the mask, quote-unquote, mandate mean? And it's, I mean, I don't think it's fair to use the term, you know, mandate. Um, it, is, it is a requirement. The rule says, yes, you, you have to wear it. You have to wear masks with a couple exceptions. If you are a performer who is part of a rehearsal or performances, then you don't have to wear a mask. Um, athletes taking part in athletic activities do not have to wear masks, so Giannis does not have to mask up. And restaurant customers who are eating or drinking do not have to wear masks. And I assume that means actively eating or drinking, but again, I, I don't know the particulars. But my larger point is, why bother? Because there's no enforcement mechanism, and this is the, the stat, you know, the, the stunningly dazzling detail. I, I understand the practical realities. I appreciate it. the health commissioner says we don't have the people to do this. You know, our our priorities are in getting people vaccinated and getting people COVID tests and things like that. It makes perfect sense to me. But you know, if you want to look up the textbook definition of virtue signaling, it's pass a quote unquote rule, an ordinance, a mandate, but then provide no effective way of enforcing it other than, well, if they get a complaint, the health department may, not required to, but may put a letter in somebody's file so that when their license comes up for renewal, they might end up in a situation where the common council, four years down the line, five years down the line, whatever, could say, hey, back in 2002, back in 2022, you know, you we had this complaint that you didn't enforce a mask mandate, so now we're going to close you down. And in the real world, we know that that's just flat out not going to happen. So for all the people out there who are in favor of 
mask mandates and and things of the like. I guess my question is where is where is your outrage about this? What is the to me you, you either do it and you put an enforcement effort in it and then you say okay we're going to hold people accountable for not doing it or you just let it go you say okay this is an advisory and we also we want to encourage businesses any local business that wants to say hey you got to have a wear you got to wear a mask when you come in here you you have the ability to do that and, and that's that's fine they have the ability to do it but this idea that we're going to have government come in put in a rule and then say but there's no consequences to not following the rule hey that speed limit it's a suggestion that no u-turn sign it's just it's a suggestion it's an ordinance but we're not going to enforce it to me it's just completely useless you you want to if you think the mask mandate is the way to go then what you seems to me you have to do and I'm not arguing it necessarily is because the city of Milwaukee puts in a mask mandate and none of the suburbs put in a mask mandate and all you're doing is you're you know uh, sending people who feel strongly against masks you're sending them off to the suburbs and and you're hurting businesses in that way so this is an attempt to uh, again become a little bit pregnant if if it's a big enough public safety issue that you think it needs to be required, well, okay, fine. You require it, and then you put in consequences for violating the rule. Otherwise, you, you just move on. But but they're trying to have it both ways. And I'll be really curious as to what happens the first couple times you have businesses in the city of Milwaukee that are not aggressive about enforcing it. That that you know just they don't care one way or the other because a number of their patrons don't want to wear the masks, so they're not going to report them. Somebody calls up the health department. The health department says, "Well, are you vigorously enforcing the mask rule?" Well, yeah, we're we're doing our our best. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But we only have three people. We don't have the we don't have the enforcement ability. We can't put somebody at the door that's, you know, checking everybody wearing masks when they're coming in. Be curious to see what exactly the health department is going to do and whether there's any consequences. So this really isn't a mask mandate to me. It seems more like it's a mask suggestion. Okay, that's fine, but let's just call it what it is. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The road to the big game goes through Green Bay. On tap this weekend is a matchup between the Packers and the 49ers with kickoff this Saturday night, 7-15. Hear this game and hear every playoff game right here on the home of the Packers, 620 WTMJ. Coverage of the green and gold playoffs is presented by Annex Wealth Management. Be sure to check that out. Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking more about that as we get closer to, you know, Saturday night and the expanded playoffs and all of that. All right, I, I have a, a message to some of the Republicans in Wisconsin who are still pushing the, the whole notion of the election was stolen and we need to spend all this taxpayer money trying to investigate it. At some point in time, and I used to mention this when, when Tom Barrett was still the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, and, and he would talk about wanting to expand the streetcar, and we'd have all these numbers come out trying to justify you know, why we spent all this money on the trolley in the first place and, and why we shouldn't be appalled at the fact that almost nobody was riding it, even though it was free and things like that. And, and, and Barrett was always still pushing to expand the streetcar, a, a, a message that... I think is probably going to fall on deaf ears. That's just kind of my sense of this. But 
um, because I don't think the new mayor, whoever that person he or she may be, and the new members of the Common Council, I don't think they're going to have anything invested in, in the streetcar. So my guess is spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to expand it is, is probably just not going to happen. But in any event, my advice to Barrett was always, sometimes when you dig a hole, it's best just to declare victory, um, fill in the hole, and, and move on. And Barrett was never willing to do that. That would be my advice to some of this investigation that's being conducted by um, former Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman into the elections. Look, here, here's here's the bottom line. And actually, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty d- did a really in-detailed analysis that didn't cost anywhere near three-quarters of a million dollars. And, and here's what they conclude. The, the Wisconsin election was not stolen Joe Biden won it. There was no sort of rampant fraud. There may have been what I'm going to describe as questionable practices. And by that I mean there's really open questions in Wisconsin law as to you know whether some procedures are allowed or not. Maybe later today we'll talk about the ruling last week by the Waukesha judge that said you, you can't use the drop boxes, that they're not allowed under Wisconsin law. Well, th- there, are, there are issues like that. What does the law say? Does the law allow a municipality to do this or not? Is the Elections Commission, is their interpretation correct? Do some local courts have the correct interpretation? So there are open questions that need to be decided either by the legislature, which isn't going to happen while you have Republicans in control of the Assembly and Senate and a Democrat governor, or they need to be decided by the court. So there's issues, but these aren't issues of fraud. They're just questions about, okay, what does the law allow? What doesn't the law? allow those are the questions that are there and and to spend all this money rehashing the 2020 election to me it's just beyond frustrating so the latest example is former supreme court justice michael gableman apparently within the last month or so he he issued orders trying to subpoena records of this dominion um, voting systems and software from from nebraska again trying to check on whether or not there's any fraud with voting machines this we have gone down this look and i'm going to be the last person that's going to encourage any sort of election fraud but the truth is we are now at a point where we were throwing good money after bad this has been looked at all over the country and some of these crackpot theories that were out there that said well half a million people who voted for donald trump had their voters votes counted for joe biden there's no evidence of that and to continue to do stuff like this it's i would say it's don quixote chasing at windmills but john don quixote was at least you know trying to do something noble i'm not sure what's noble about this look do we need to get some clarity with regard to what the law allows with regard to some stuff absolutely at some point in time though and this is my message to some of the republicans who are continuing to spend taxpayer dollars to try to again look at the 2020 election time to move on this could be a huge year for republicans next november but republicans could shoot themselves in the foot by obsessing on stuff that's not going to lead anywhere and subpoenaing records from some of these voting machines that to me that dog just does not hunt welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj So very glad to have you with us. Hey, one of the breaking news uh, developments, uh, State Majority Leader Jim Steinecke, who's been on the program many, many times, and candidly, I, I think is 
He's one of the really good guys. I mean, I, I would say a common sense conservative. He's just announced that he is not going to be running for re-election to the state assembly. He's from the Kokana area. He was first elected in November of 2010. So keep in mind, he came in in 2010. So he was in the, that class where you had the, the whole Scott Walker and the whole Act 10 stuff and all that. Um, before that, he was a supervisor and a member of the Outagamie County Board. In, in 2012, he was selected to serve as the assistant majority leader, and then he's been the assembly majority leader since 2014, which is a very, very thankless job. He's essentially the number, I would describe it as the number two person in the, the state assembly among the Republicans, and the Republicans have overwhelming control. Um, Robin Voss would be number one, and, and then it would probably be Steineke. But, but he's done a very, in my opinion, a very, very good job he just made the decision that you know it, it, it's time to to move on and you look back on his legacy um act 10 right to work legislation prevailing wage reforms um rebalancing the state's finances to get us in a much better position now than we were say 12 years ago so i, I think you know it's one of those situations where i, I also always respect people who just you know, know, know when it's time to go. And, you know, everybody wonders, oh, why, why, what's the story? You know, why do some people retire and things like that? And, and, and the truth of the matter is, in, in many respects, you know, being an elected official is just, it's, it's a thankless job. Because, you, especially in a state like Wisconsin, where we're, we're so divided, you're, you're just you're going to get all sorts of flack for all sorts of things. And I, I think there's a lot of people who go into politics because they want to make it their career, and frankly, they, they can't earn enough money, you know, outside of politics, so they, they do it for, as their livelihood. And there's other people who do it because they have whatever their politics are. They have a civic motivation. They want to make a difference. But at the same time, there's other things that they want to do with their life. And Jim Steinecke, I think, is clearly one of those sort of guys. You come in, you have a great run, and I think that would be fair to describe it. And then you simply say, okay, well, it's, 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 it's time to move on. It's time to, I think the phrase he used in his statement was, it's time to pass the torch. And, and after 12 years, I, you can certainly you know, understand why somebody would, would take that position. It's time to pass the torch. But uh, that's the breaking news. Jim Steinecke announcing today that he is not going to run for re-election. That's a solid Republican seat, so it's not like I think the Republicans are in any danger of losing that seat. And, and my guess is they may even end up with veto-proof majorities in both the Senate and the Assembly after the November elections. Might not be that much of an issue, though, um, assuming that one of the people running for governor beats Tony Evers, which would not be a surprise either. All right, this is the story from over the weekend that, that kind of got my attention. And I, I actually sent out a tweet on it. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And, and what I said was, I, I understand that everybody has their own opinion and that politics often brings out the worst in, in some of us, and you know who you are. But that being said, is it time to consider the possibility that the guy running this operation may be, well, well, nuts? And I'm talking about, you know, Penzi Spices. And I, I almost hate to discuss this because I hate to give them, you know, any sort of, of exposure. Bill Penzi, he has done this 
over the years. He's he's a what I would describe as one of these kind of crazy lefties. And yes, you have crazy people on the right, but Penzi's way way out there on on the left, and he's said all sorts of really really bizarre things that kind of feed into his his mindset. And 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 that's okay. Again, people get to have their different opinions. Well, anyhow, this this last weekend was, of course, the extended Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. And Bill Penzi used this as an opportunity to rename the weekend as the Republicans are racist weekend in a newsletter to customers. Um, You know, he talked about, well, here's some of the things that he said. Um, Remember how Republicans, going against a mountain of evidence to the contrary, once again lied and said Black Lives Matter wasn't a peaceful movement, but instead terrorists inciting violence throughout the country, and then raced out to buy lots of guns because maybe they were finally going to get their chance to shoot a black person? What a bunch of racists. I mean, and that's the the stuff. Uh, the part of the message is the racist label, if you're a Republican, the racist label is one you deservingly wear every day. You stand with the Republican Party. Get used to it. Or maybe instead become a better person. The choice is yours. We will be rooting for you to choose love. So in other words, in in this guy's sort of twisted perception of the world, if you are a Republican, you are by nature racist. And we are superior to you. And, and so, but we're, we're, we're hoping that you see the light. In many respects, it, it's kind of similar to the, the speech that, that Biden gave in Georgia late last week, where he, he essentially <clears throat> talked about voting rights and said, if you don't support this voting rights bill, this national voting rights bill, you are essentially a, a racist. Um, which is far from being a uniter. Anyways, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you know, people have the right to their opinions, no question about it. And, you know, if you're a business, generally speaking, I mean, from the perspective of most businesses, they try to be apolitical because your business is to sell widgets, you know, bring people into your restaurant or, or whatever. And, and, yes, you might have your political opinions, but most people try to keep that to themselves or try to keep it at least out of their business. They at least limit it to their private life. You know, yeah, maybe you, you know, you donate or you go door to door, you do whatever you do to support the candidates, but you don't make your political stances, you know, part of, of your business as a general rule. And in this case, you have this guy who's not only making the political views part of his, I mean, business, but he's doing it in the most extreme way possible. That if you are a Republican, you know, you're, you're out there looking to shoot black people. And if you're a Republican, you are a racist. But we're going to pray for you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. H- how do people r- respond to this? And, and I guess my reaction is, I, I'm not big on, on boycotts. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not. I, the, a lot of times you've seen this come from the left, and sometimes you see it come from the right. But while I'm not big on boycotts, if somebody really thinks that because I have a different political view than they are, that I'm a racist or I, I want to kill black people or things like that, I don't see how I could spend a dime at that person's store. 
And, and this isn't just you know policy disagreements between. Gee, I you know I, I think you know it would have been a good idea to vote for the Build Back Better thing, or or you shouldn't have voted for it. This isn't policy stuff. This is if you're a Republican, you're a racist and, and own it. And I guess again, not being big on boycotts, there's no way I could spend a dime at this guy's store. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. How do we react to this? Back with a conversation in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is, of course, not the first time that Bill Penzi has done, like, sort of crazy political stuff. But this time, I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people on the left that recognize the guy's become completely unhinged. Earlier this month, he, he sent out a, another one of these blast texts and email where he said, a Republican, Republican voters are the number one threat to this country. Uh, and, and now, of course, he's followed it up by, if you're a Republican voter, you're a racist. Um, the only reason that you, you want to you buy guns to shoot black people. And, and it's this kind of deranged talk. Now, some people would suggest, and I'm getting some text suggesting, that this is hate speech. And I don't know if it's technically hate speech, but it's extremely close. And it's, it's interesting because even a lot of people on the left are, are kind of cringing. I'm looking at one of the stories here. One of the guys says, first of all, when they saw this came out, the, the reaction was, this, this can't have come from Penzi. Somebody must have hacked into the system because nobody would be this un, you know, unhinged. Um, one of the responses was, I'm not a Democrat or Republican, having never registered for either party. I am, however, first and foremost a patriot, and as such, I recognize the difficult time our country is facing now as various factions inside now try to foment discord among us. The fact that any company feels that they can make such a patently absurd statement like this and not immediately condemned by all is a testament to how far things have deteriorated in this great country. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's no question uh, about this that... You know, and a number of people are saying, okay, you know, Bill Penzi is to the left what Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, is to the right. And, you know, maybe you can make an argument to that extent. But I guess I just look at it from a business perspective, and I'm not a boycott person, as I said earlier. I, I think that, you know, I think that that's... I, I think that that's, first of all, boycotts don't work as a general rule. And secondly, I, I think people are entitled to have opinions. But at the same time, This is not just an opinion. If you have a business owner who says that anybody who is a Republican, which is, I don't know, 50% of of the country, you are inherently a racist and you buy guns just to shoot black people, that, that tells me you just don't want my business. If that's what you think of me, fine. I mean, I, I'm just... I'm not going to do this. Jeff, I, I'm, I'm not going to patronize the place. Wouldn't even think about it. Jeff, I agree. I don't like it when businesses mix themselves along political lines. I think it's bad on employees, the stockholders, and the overall business model. Um, normally, I can overlook it, like Coca-Cola this past summer. However, this guy is not taking a stance on a political belief. Rather, he's taking a stance against half the population in the country. Further, segregating some of your customers and calling them names, accusing them of damning things with no no knowledge of the individuals themselves. You're right. I'm not a boycott guy either, but they won't be seeing a dime from me any time in the future. 
Um, yeah, that's it. Um, Jeff, this person has now transformed his business into an organ of extreme leftist views. Any business done with Penzi uh, represents support to his extreme views. Well, I think there, there's an element to that. And again, I don't. I would never advocate, you know, not patronizing a place because, oh, I'm not going to that restaurant because the, the guy that owns the restaurant's a big time lefty, or I'm not going to go to this bar because the guy that owns the bar is a conservative. I've, I would never advocate that. I think people have the right to their opinions, and I think people have the right to express their opinions. But this isn't just expressing an opinion. This isn't just saying, gee, I think Joe Biden's the greatest thing since canned beer, or boy, I, I hope that you know such and such wins this election, or, or boy, I, I think it's just incredible. It's, it's just too bad that we can't get the build back better law through. This isn't saying this. This is saying if you disagree with me, you are a racist. If you disagree with me that Black Lives Matter, I say it's the greatest thing in the world, if you disagree with that, you know, you're you're out there, you want to kill black people. I mean, that that is telling me that you do not want your money. Jeff, I love Penzi Spices. But several years ago, his rhetoric and stance turned me off. I've not bought his product since then. I don't raise a hissy fit. I just went away from his product. And somebody else says, you know, at the end of the day, I used to like it, but there's lots of places that you can buy, you know, pepper. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that is. Um, there's, you know, there, there's lots of places that you can end up. Jeff, it's just plain wrong to paint every Republican as a racist. Way too broad a, a brush. All right. Again, that that's the the bottom line. Jeff, I dropped Penzi's years ago. Love the product, but I could no longer take the rants in the name of love everyone. Um, one particular rant ended up breaking the um, breaking the you know camel's back. Jeff, I quit buying the stuff a long time ago when he started sending out those horrid emails. We were once good customers as well as our family. No more. Then, of course, the the ultimate irony too is if you look where a lot of the Penzi Spices locations are, it's it's not like a lot of the businesses are in heavily minority areas not saying all of them aren't that there's none but you know in general here's a guy who's out in the suburb jeff maybe penzies is trying to introduce a new product line like nuts <laughs> you know there's the element of that there uh, jeff you have to love the tolerant left yeah that is the that that is one of the ironies of this as well that oh we're we're tolerant here remember that was the that was the whole thing when joe biden got elected joe biden was going to be the guy that was the uniter joe biden was going to be the guy that that brought the country together after four years of the divisive donald trump remember all that that that's what the plan was and we were going to be a tolerant, we were going to be a kinder, we were going to be a better nation. And so now you've got some of these unhinged lefties who are saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if you don't like to hear this, but if you are a Republican, you are you are just an absolute racist. In the case of somebody like Bill Penzi, it's real easy. You get to vote with your pocketbook, you get to vote with your wallet, and you get to make a decision as to whether you want to spend money at a place that, that thinks of half or more of the population in that particular fashion. And, and you get to end up deciding. But it, it has been interesting. And again, I alluded a little bit earlier go, earlier to the, the speech that Joe Biden gave in Georgia. And I, I know some people don't want to hear this, but for that speech was Donald Trump. You know, he, he was out there and look, Biden, 
Biden is clearly floundering. The approval ratings, you know, the latest poll that I saw had him at 33%. That strikes me as being a little bit low, but he's way underwater. And the first year of the Biden administration has been pretty much a complete and total failure. Couldn't get any of his agenda through, thankfully in many cases, or very little of it. You know, you've got the economy, which is starting to sputter, inflation, which is out of control, problems at the border, problems with the you know the pullout in Afghanistan, and, and generally speaking, an administration that right now is perceived as floundering. Now, that's not to say, you know, they can't turn things around, but it's been a really bad year. And so you have, you know, Joe Biden, who goes down to, you know, goes out to Georgia and gives a speech that you would have expected Donald Trump to give. I mean, seriously, and I understand some people might like to hear, but it was about as divisive as possible. If you don't support this this effort that I have to try to federalize voting, well, you are a racist. This is Bull Connor. This is Jim Crow number two. This is, I mean, it was so incredibly over the top divisive that you, you got to think that okay this is just biden's you know attempt to try to i don't know appease the the people that he's losing on the left and just further antagonize people on the right but it is interesting that after being told we need to be a kinder more gentle more tolerant nation after you know four years of donald trump and i understand where that argument's coming from we've now got joe biden channeling donald trump and lefty businessmen saying if you don't agree with me you're a racist who wants to kill black people. Now, keep it in mind next time you're going out to buy pepper or salt or spices. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff White, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Wait, I am legitimately confused with something that was in Melissa's newscast. The Three people who were involved in the carjacking and the shooting incident that happened in the third ward outside the Shake Shack that we talked about at the start of the, the, the program, um, the, the, they've got two of them in custody, but the shooter... The 18-year-old who, um, alleged, I'm going to forget allegedly, the 18-year-old who shot the police officer multiple times after the police officer intervened and tried to prevent the carjacking, I don't know if you heard, he's still on the loose. He is still on the lamp. Okay, they've got the other two. They got the driver of the car, and they've got the other two that were part of this scheme where they were driving around robbing people and stealing stuff. But the shooter is actually still in, in the wind. Um, his name is Casian Ellis Brown, 18 years old, of Milwaukee. Well, why am I confused here? Because, wait, th- this is the same guy who, as I mentioned earlier, last October, October 26th, he was in stolen Kia in the Culver's parking lot at 55th and Fond du Lac. 55th and Fond du Lac. Um, he was wanted in connection with another shooting incident that had occurred at Culver's a few days earlier. The cops roll up on that. He takes off high rate of speed, driving erratically, 90 miles an hour, driving on the sidewalk, blowing through red lights, almost causing accidents. They ultimately catch the, the car. The driver of the Kia, which is this same guy who is now the person that shot the police officers, he gets out on foot. He's holding a gun, 
after he crashes the car at 42nd and Capitol, um, he runs, throws the firearm, um, ultimately, you know, goes through an alley. He ends up getting uh, caught. So it's, it's the same guy. It's Casey and Brown. All right. So they find the gun, all those sorts of things. Now, my guess is, don't know for sure, but my guess is this is not his first time at the rodeo. My guess is there's a lengthy series of contacts. So what am I confused about? Well, because in October after this, he appears before a notorious Milwaukee County Court Commissioner, Grace Flynn, who is well known for setting ridiculously low bails, and, and she sets she sets a $1,000 bail on this guy. Well, that's, of course, to make sure that he attends his court appearances and stuff. So I, I'm just shocked. How can he be in the wind? now. I mean, I thought when we set these bails, these bails were designed to make sure that you're going to know where the person is and they're going to be able to be tracked down. Boy, we must have gotten that one really, really wrong because not only is he, did he continue to commit about as serious a crimes as you can imagine, but gee, that, that bail didn't exactly hold him around here as authorities are looking for him. It's just, I'm being somewhat facetious here, but again, it's a complete and total disgrace. And I ask this semi non rhetorically how, how many more how many more people are going to have to die how many more people are going to have to be crime victims before we start cleaning house we get rid of these court commissioners who aren't willing to hold people accountable we get rid of circuit judges who aren't willing to hold accountable and we get rid of a district attorney whose policy is to not hold people accountable and i just I ask that. And obviously another case where the $1,000 cash bail on surprise follows surprise, somebody who was involved in a shooting, led cops on a high-speed chase, and then ran with a gun, that wasn't enough to keep him around. What a surprise. All right, let us switch gears. If you're like me, you probably spent a good portion of time over the last couple days watching football, if you're a sports fan. Um, you know, there was all this attention spent. Oh, this is the NFL. This is the NFL's, you know, their, their super wild card weekend, and you have all these games. I, I understand it's all about money, but the truth is most of these games were loser games. I mean, most of the games, one team clearly out overmatched the other team, which to me says maybe you've got too many teams in the playoffs if you've got all these different teams that are playing and they, they can't, you know, they're losing by 20, 30, 40 points. Maybe Maybe that's an argument against expanding the playoffs because other than money, what's the sense of you know getting teams into the playoffs that really aren't competitive? And that was the case certainly in four out of the six games. The two that were arguably competitive, Cincinnati beating Oakland, and then probably the most competitive and the most interesting game of the weekend was the Dallas Cowboys playing the um, San Francisco 49ers, and this is of interest to Packers fans because 49ers, their win means that they come to Lambeau Field on on Saturday. Um, It's also of interest to me because I I like Mike McCarthy. Um, I, I, I do. I don't I'm not a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, which I, I think are just one of the most overrated teams, and don't necessarily like their their owner um, Jerry Jones. But I, I thought I thought Mike McCarthy kind of got a raw deal in Green Bay, which isn't to say that you know it was time for him to to move on. But I've always wanted to see him succeed, as long as it doesn't you know impact the Packers negatively. Well, in any event, if you watch that game, what happened was it. 
it, it sort of brought home some of those chickens that roost. Mike McCarthy, one of his beefs has been he's not a good playoffs coach, and he has trouble with, with clock management and things of the like. If you watch the end of the game, the San Francisco pulled ahead. The Cowboys were coming back. You know, they were making a comeback. And then the last play of the game was when their quarterback, Dak Prescott, he he takes off. They, they have the ball around the 50-yard line with 14 seconds left in the game. And rather than throwing a Hail Mary pass or two to the end zone, what he does is he takes off and he starts running. It was He runs, and he runs about 15 yards or so, and then he goes down. The problem is the Cowboys had no timeouts left, and they couldn't get up to the line, get set, and take another snap before the clock ran out. And most of the experts say you, they, it was clear that he didn't have enough time to do this, that in situations like that you have to throw a pass, or alternatively you have to go down a lot earlier, get on the ground a lot earlier to give yourself time to snap the ball. Some of the Cowboys fans were upset at the officials because the the, the rule is that an official – before you can snap the ball, the official has to put it in play. You can't just have the center do it. And the official was trailing the play, and it took a second or two, and the Cowboys fans are like, well, if that official had been more on the ball, he would have been able to you know, get the ball in play more appropriately, and we could have spiked the ball and maybe had one more play. I don't think most people believe that that's the case. But anyhow, the Cowboys fans, after having seen the Cowboys go out again, um, were, were very, very upset with this. As the officials are leaving the field, the always classy Dallas fans start throwing all sorts of stuff on the field at the officials. They're unhappy that the game has ended. They don't really care that it's ended because the Cowboys screwed up, um, and they're throwing stuff at at the officials. Okay, it's clearly a no class act, right? You know, it's it's just it's clearly a no class act. But this is where it gets interesting. So at the post-game press conference, the Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, who is the guy that started all this by, you know, running and then not going down in a timely fashion, they, they ask him about the fact that the Cowboys fans were throwing stuff at the uh, officials. And his line is, Oh, because he originally thought they were throwing stuff at the players. And he's upset that they're throwing stuff at the players because he says, hey, we're trying as hard as we can. Then they say, no, no, no. The reporters say they weren't throwing it at you. They were throwing it at the officials. And his response was, oh, they were throwing it at the officials. Well, credit to them. Credit to them. In other words, hey, this is great. They were throwing stuff at the officials. Our number. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand this story comes from the world of sports, but I do think sometimes there's some larger lessons here. Cowboys quarterback, disappointed, unhappy with the fact that uh, the 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 they did not win the game and he thinks that the officials kind of screwed up i don't think so i don't think most people do but he says well that's good they were throwing stuff at the officials well then it's okay 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sure there have been things that players have said that have demonstrated less class than this, but it's tough for me to imagine that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Very, very disappointing that somebody, number one, would think this, and number two, more disappointing that someone would say it. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I appreciate that officials in sports sometimes end up getting getting it wrong. And I think it's fair to criticize from this for this. Now, I think objectively speaking, if you watch that Cowboys-San Francisco 49er game over the weekend, the, the officials didn't get that play wrong. At, at the end, the, the problem was you have a quarterback who tried to run down the middle of the field and ran too far and didn't go down in time to let everybody line up. But the rules are clear that the officials, regardless, you can't start another play, tell the officials, put the ball in play, which is why at the end of football, games when they're in a hurry up offense you often see the players hand the ball to the officials so everybody knows that rule I, I believe it's quite clear that the Cowboys screwed up but but let's even assuming for the sake of argument that they didn't screw that the officials it was the officials that were wrong which they weren't all right they're, they're walking off the no class Cowboys fans start throwing stuff at the officials the no class Cowboys quarterback initially he's appalled because he thought they were throwing stuff at him or at the team then when he finds out it's the officials his response is oh well well good for them then 855-616-1620 mike in illinois mike you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon jeff how are you good what do you think i thought it was a completely uh tactless and classless move by dak prescott who usually avoids any kind of controversy um as i was telling your screener ironically and i don't know if you remember this the 1975 divisional playoffs the cowboys faced the vikings and Drew Pearson, uh, Roger Staubach threw pretty much a game-winning touchdown pass to Drew Pearson, and the Viking fans thought it was offensive pass interference, which it wasn't, and they started throwing snowballs at the refs. And one ref got hit in the head, and literally he was, you know, they showed his picture the next day in the paper with his head bandaged up. Um, yeah. I think they were also throwing snowballs at the Cowboys. Obviously, this is the Cowboys fans doing this, and uh, for Prescott to say that, and you know, at first be appalled and then be okay with it was the refs being hit when it was his fault. It wasn't McCarthy's poor time management. It was his poor time management. Yeah. And he should, I mean, Rob, or coaches are fine for just saying, you know, the uh, refereeing was bad. He should be fined for, for saying that. Yeah, well, thanks for well. I, I, you wonder if the NFL is is just going to do anything. And thanks for the call, Mike. I guess I mean I look at this. Look, and I, I I understand that emotions are high, and and I understand that you know the Cowboys underperform, and there were all these different expectations, and I get that people are are bummed out. But at the same time, to sit there and say, well, oh, oh, they were throwing stuff at the officials. Why? Well, I, I think that that that's good. To me, that's just wrong. Okay, here's one other text. Jeff, one of the most penalized teams in the NFL, which they were, wants fans to blame and retaliate against the officials. Good grief. You would think that they, they want to pretend that they were the victims. Jeff, here's another text. I get that Dak was upset over, using, over losing yet another playoff game. But to encourage disobedience to attack the league that pays you is absurd. Let's look at the facts. Even if the refs gave him the ball and they somehow miraculously ended up in the end zone, imagine how upset 49ers fans would be for handing them a loss. Scratch all of that, though. I still don't believe he could have gotten that ball in the end zone. But 
and and see, and all that one way or the other. Look, I I understand. You can think back on your favorite sports team. Think about the Brewers. Think about the Packers. Think about the Bucks. There will be all sorts of indications where you say, you know, I I think we got shafted by the by the referee. I think that decision we really got Rogered when the decision, you know, when they did this or that, or they didn't make that call, or they made this call, or that wasn't a strike or whatever. We we all feel that way, and and that's part of the thing about sports that you know officials sometimes they get it right sometimes they end up getting it wrong but for players to go out and say well go ahead and assault assault them i I think it's i think that that's good and i don't mean to read too much into it but that's pretty much what the guy was saying he was saying oh good that they were throwing stuff at the officials david and mequon david you're on wtmj good afternoon hey jeff thanks for taking your call i was calling your call screener yeah, I was I was just telling her call screener that I think the post game uh, response was actually worse than what he did at the end of the game uh, because he's advocating for you know he's like oh hey listen that's okay let's clap the officials when actually all he had to do was man up and listen they're paying him forty million dollars to throw the ball not run the ball at the end of the game yeah. and and really at the end of the day uh, he's should be taking full responsibility for uh, yeah. you know not going with what was working at the end of the game, which was you know ten yard low passes, and they could have they could have easily done that, and he chose not to. And um, you know, as is yeah. you know at no. the end of the game uh, to have that interview that that is just disgraceful. Thanks for the call, David. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it's an opportunity to say, you know what, I I, I screwed up. You know, I, I understand. I, I should have, maybe I shouldn't have taken off and run that way. Uh, maybe I, I should have thrown the ball. If I decided to run, yeah, I, I needed, I, I, I know this. The, the conventional wisdom in the NFL is you can't do that at the end of the game unless you have at least 16 seconds left. They had 14. We, we, even if we practiced it, yeah, we I should not have tried to do it. But I, I didn't execute that. We just, we, we just, we collapsed at the end, and, and then own it. You know, like you were saying, David, you man up or whatever. J- just own it. We we made the mistake instead of oh, they're throwing stuff at the officials. You you got it because you know we kind of got cheated out of the game. No, I, I don't think so. And you, you lose a lot of respect. And I understand there's disappointment that goes involved with this, but how can you have any respect for a guy who who thinks that way? And another Cowboys loss and tough to tough to be too sympathetic. They, they they say they're America's team, but I guess you know that's one of the things that maybe that's a comment on where. America is nowadays. Back with more in just a minute. We'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.